Uh, Go ahead, grab your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 3, that's where we'll be. We'll be finishing chapter 3 this morning, uh, headed into chapter 4, the first verse of chapter 4. We'll have two or three weeks left of this, which will lead us into Easter, and then uh, I don't know what we're doing after Easter, so pray about that. Um, so it'll be something in the Bible. Um, well, uh, I don't know about you guys, but, but often when uh, I come in this room, uh, and th- this happens to me, uh, I'm not exempt from this or out of this, but do you ever just feel those mornings where your mind's just like totally not here, and uh, you've just got so much going on, you're thinking about so many things, um, and uh, I'm sure none of you can relate to that. Um, but why don't we just take a minute to just clear our head? Uh, I'm sure many of you walk in here and you're thinking about a dozen other things outside of him. And uh, he really wants to woo you back to him. He wants to realign your gaze right now back to him and his gospel and his goodness. And if we don't spend time doing that, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't practically do this, you realize you will just consistently live your life just filled with intellectual knowledge and ideas and you'll never walk in anything that you know. you never do it. And uh, so I, I don't want us just to play church and walk in and just, oh yeah, here's the sermon part. I'm still kind of thinking, let, let's, let's drill down. Uh, let's take a minute just to clear our minds. So I don't know what, what, what's going on with you, if there are burdens, or just let's take a minute of just silence just to say, God, uh, help me to focus. Help me to hear you. Help me not to think about this thing. Or let me, let me lay this thing in your hands. It's just, just weighing me down. And, uh, and then we'll hear from him. So just take a minute to do that. Father, we're here in this room this morning not because we're needless people, but really needy people. God, we're desperate. Um, God, we don't have strength that can carry the load. We need yours. God, we don't have perspective. We need yours. So God, I just pray this morning that you'd, you'd graciously deal with us. You'd realign our hearts back to where it needs to be for another week of, of plowing, straining, striving, looking to come back again together, to be realigned again. God, I pray you'd really protect us from just living a life of intellectual Christianity and, and never being obedient and walking in what we already know. God, may these be real things that begin to embed themselves in our life and heart so that transformation happens. And God, we don't play that silly game where we just wander in week after week and leave in the same boat and come back in the same boat. God, thank you that you are doing a profound work here and in your church in this world. God, thank you that the promise that you said about you building your church will always be sure, regardless of pastors that fail out of ministry, regardless of sin and evil that might weed itself in regardless of even the sinful residue of the fall that remains in our hearts that might want to cloud you. I don't thank you that you will finish what you start and that you're king. So we submit to you this morning, God. We thank you for your word. We're excited to read it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Philippians 3, uh, here's what I want to do just in case you're you're jumping into this thing and uh, kind of unsure about what's basically been happening. Let me just sum it up really, really, really briefly. 
Um, Paul has been writing to this church in Philippi, uh, which he planted with the help of Silas, Luke, and Timothy. And um, what they did was they uh, crossed a, went across the boat, the, the, the Christian, the Christian kind of movement that God was birthing, right, left uh, Asia, went into Europe, and they, they birthed this church in Philippi. It's part of northern Greece. And, and as they're seeing people come to Christ, all different types, all different people who would never have done life together, never would have shared a meal together, they're now doing that. And God is doing a profound work in Paul writes to this church this really affectionate letter. He writes how he just loves them, how he just longs to see them, how while he's in prison. Now he's in prison in his second imprisonment term of two years, and he's writing to these people saying, I hope I get out. I don't know if I'm going to get out. I'm waiting my sentence to see if me preaching about this God that they killed as a criminal who I'm saying is the God of the universe who loves and saves people. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. So he's writing these, these things to them, and it boils down to just one truth, Okay. He, he just wants them to know over and over and over again, yes, there are themes of joy and contentment and satisfaction. And you'll see these things in this letter, but he wants you to get beneath just symptoms, okay? He wants you to get down to the root, to the substance that creates all of those good fruits in your life, which is Jesus Christ. He, he wants you to know that Christ is everything, Okay, so if you get Christ, you've won. If you get everything else that, that Christianity might tell you you need and you don't get Christ, you haven't got anything, right? So if you think the goal of your life is just looking better in your morality or you getting a better self-image or you looking more like the Christian community tells you to look, like that's not the goal for you. Now, if you press into Jesus and love him and know him and, and, and long for him, those things happen, but you can't reverse them, otherwise you're just a really good person. Okay, going to hell, that's not a good deal, all right? We want to we be people that say, hey, I'm needy, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm lost, hey, I'm a sinner, hey, I can't figure this thing out, hey, I'll press into the one who does know it, he rescues me, he ransoms me, he saves me, and then he enables me to walk and strive and strain as I look to him for the grace needed till one day he finishes it all, right, in glory. And so he wants us to know, hey, the goal of the Christian life is to know Jesus Christ. That's the goal to know him, to look like him, and walk like him. Now that fundamentally brings glory to God, which is the ultimate aim of God's heart, but, but this is the, the way that that serves itself. And this is throughout the scriptures. Like this is the theme. It started with Jesus who said, what, follow me. Look like me. Don't, don't just claim to believe in me, follow me, right? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and now walk behind me with your eyes on me. Okay, I'll carry you, we'll walk together, we'll strive, my power's available, okay? He says that, that's this idea of, of looking like Jesus, of knowing Jesus. You see Paul write to the Galatian church, what does he say? I have, it's like labor pains in my body until Christ is fully formed in you. Like I, I just, I want him, I want you to be so consumed with him that it actually feels like labor pains until that happens. First Corinthians, he says, imitate me as I imitate who? Christ. The Apostle John writes in his gospel what? If you abide in Jesus, if you are connected to him, if you're pressing into him, what, well, you'll, you'll bear fruit. I mean, you just see this, this throughout the, the New Testament. I mean, the Ephesians, we, we just saw that, right, not too long ago. That God sovereignly in his grace picked you out, loved you, ransomed you, adopted you. Showed you his grace, showed you his mercy. Why? So he could spend the rest of eternity showing you all that you have in him. 
So, so there's always more of Christ to gain. There's always more of Christ to dive into. So if you're in here and you think, well, I've kind of done it. I now attend church because it's now the thing to do. I've already arrived. I'm already locked in. I've got my fire insurance. I've got heaven. Man, you're, you're missing it altogether. That's why your joy doesn't increase. It just either stays steady or decreases. Because you're buying some type of Christianity that thinks that, okay, well, now I just go and do things and I'm void of the very one who saved me and brought me into this thing. So we, we press in to, to know him, and I love it because Paul last week says, even I haven't obtained this, even, even I'm not perfect, yet, yet one thing I do know, I'm going I'm to strive, I'm going to run, right? I'm going to push headlong into Jesus. He's what I'm after, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But he goes, hey, hey, let me encourage you, you know, Apostle Paul, right, or all of our, you know, spiritual superhero Wrote half the New Testament. Hey, guess what? Even I'm toiling, striving, struggling. We found great comfort in that. He showed us what it means to forget what's behind and look towards what's ahead. And we learned that it's important to remember God's works, remember his promises, remember many things about him. But forget anything that hinders your pursuit of him today. We learned that, right? Forget those things. If that's, if that's hindering your gaze towards him then push it aside and look out your window and not in the rearview mirror constantly. We talked about how some of you guys, your, your past is your greatest thief. You just you wallow in a what you think is sorrow, but it's just hidden pride because you think the cross of Christ can't possibly forgive the one sin that you think no one else has. He's going, that, that's as proud as the guy who doesn't believe that it was sufficient at all. And then, and then we also saw the other, other side where Maybe you just, you pride yourself in past victories. You think you've, you've lived a pretty good life in the past, so now you can kind of slow down. You've kind of thrown your chips, and that's enough. We continue to press into Jesus, and here Paul's going to show us and explain continually the how of the why. And I love this. He gave us the why in chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Why do we pursue him? Why do we spend our lives inexhaustibly running to him and wanting to know more of him? Because his surpassing worth is immeasurable. Right? Everything else is rubbish compared to the greatness of knowing him. Okay, so that, that's where he got our hearts. So naturally we're asking, well, how do I do that? And we saw last week part of how we do that. He's going to continue showing us this week how we do that. And I love this letter because it's really practical. He just gets on the ground with us as to how we know him. Verse 17, here's what Paul's going to say. Here's the, the continued idea and understanding of this. He says, brothers, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk. Not just talk. Big difference. Those who walk according to the example you have in us. So, so Paul simply says, hey, imitate me. You're going, man, that's arrogant. Not if you're Paul. Because here's what he's not saying. He's not saying model my perfection. Like he just told us he's not perfect. He's saying model my pursuit. Not, not model the sinlessness in me. I don't have any, right? He's saying model the pursuit of me. And then he expands the pool a little bit and says, hey, and look for other people who are doing this too and model them. So, so Paul is laying before us something vital that is just missing in Christian circles. Your relationship with Jesus is, was never meant to be just your private life with him. 
okay, okay, further, you're growing more into the knowledge and image of Jesus, okay, was never meant to be just your private life with him and you. Here's what he's saying. You want to know Jesus Christ? That then you find other godly women, godly men, and you get around them and learn from them. Like you sit with them, you ask them questions. You learn how to imitate their life. Like, like it's not just about this privatized relationship with Jesus and I, and that that's all that matters. I don't want really infringing on me, I don't really need to grow. Listen, you're just prideful. Get over your pride and go ask somebody. Go seek out someone who you recognize as someone who, hey, hey, I love their pursuit. They're not perfect person. They're not sinless. They're not, not struggling. But, man, there's a pursuit in them for Jesus in an area where maybe you're weak and you want to learn how God is working in that. You want to imitate that. You want to model that. So he says, man, find men and women who look like this. Now, now here's what, here's what I, I just, let me be really frank just for a quick moment. Can I be frank? Like I'm, like, I'm never not frank. Let me, let me just, and I mean this in all sincerity. I don't, I don't, I don't mean this in, in arrogance. I mean this from the, the, the most sincere place in my heart. God has provided this place with many godly men and godly women for you to get around, sit under, and learn from. We're not a perfect church. We got a lot of issues Look at your pastor, right? <laughs> You're like, that guy's up. I mean, that's the first problem, right? I mean, so, so here, let me, let me just, let me just, let me just, there, there are, so, now you probably haven't met them, a lot of them, maybe some you have, but listen, there are so, God has just provided here. Now, now, we didn't decide that, we didn't figure out how to do that or have the cute marketing strategy, God just did it. So, so your first excuse can't be there aren't any. Okay, because here's the other two things I hear very, very often, okay? The, the first one is, well, I don't want to inconvenience anybody. Okay, well, get over your pride and ask. It's that simple. Just get over yourself. Ask them. And, and can I encourage you in this? Be gracious in your asking. Like, if they don't respond to you in two days, don't write them off. Be like, see? I mean, I tried, right? I tried. He's just a jerk. I mean, it, just be gracious, Right? Like extend the same grace we need to extend to one another. I mean, I mean it takes time. It might take a, a few pit stops. Right? It might, might take some prayer. But don't sit and do nothing. Right? Just say, man, God, who, who is it that... Here, here's the other thing I, I, I hear a lot, too, is um, I already tried that. I already tried that, right? And, and I'm just, I've been ruined by the church, and I don't like the church, and I always, I always reach out. No one reaches out to me, right? We, right? we hear that all the time, too. And... Let me just say, keep, keep asking. Just, just keep putting yourself out there. Just keep reaching out to someone and, and that God might lead to you. Don't write them off. Be gracious. And, and so let me, let me also with all that say this. Listen, a lot of times it's because you're looking for someone who doesn't exist. Like you're looking for the godly Goliath. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you men in here, like you're looking for the guy who knows all Hebrew, all Greek. He's raised 12 kids. He's done eldering, deaconing. He's writing a worship album. He's doing missions work in like Saudi Arabia. You're like, where is he? I mean, I'll, he doesn't exist. Right, I mean, he loves his family well, leads his wife all the time. He, okay, well, first step, okay, you gotta find somebody else because he doesn't exist. 
You know, you, you women, I'm looking for the woman who's made led every Titus 2 Bible study, and, you know, she has just discipled her children so faithfully. She reads every Paul David Tripp book. She's touring with Beth Moore. She's doing everything. Where's she at, right? You're just, you're looking for her. I'm going, she doesn't exist. She doesn't exist. Well, like, like, okay, expectation. L- lower the expectation, okay? Because that's Jesus, okay? So, so keep running to him. He, he's good. He's the bar. Okay, then under Jesus... God's provided hands and feet extensions of people to rub shoulders with, to get under, to learn from, so that you might know him. Don't, don't deceive yourself thinking, don't play this silly game where it's like this, just you and me. I can come in here and never talk to anyone else or ever open up my life and somehow you'll magically grow. Like, it's not going to happen. Okay? I hate to break it to you. Some of you guys are looking, you're going, okay, that makes sense. Right? I'm right where I've been for years. You've never let anyone maybe graciously invade your life a little bit? Ask you questions, grow in godliness. So, so here, here's, what, here's what you can do. Maybe there's a man or woman who excels where you're weak, and it's going to look different for everyone. Maybe you had a really tragic home life, and so you know somewhere you see, man, that, that, that home life that's happening looks healthy. So maybe you get with them and say, hey, how how'd you, how'd you cultivate this type of home? It's not a perfect one, but how did you, how did you grow in that? How did you raise your kids? Maybe, maybe you're, you're single and, and you see someone else who's single, but maybe they've got just a good, firm grasp of doctrine that, that you're kind of lacking in. And you say, hey, can you kind of like just teach me some of that? How did you learn some of that, that stuff? Maybe it's someone who's lacking in doctrine, but man, they really love and lead their family well. And so you go, man, I, I see that in you. I see how you just shepherd your home. Can I... Can I Maybe it's just sin issues, or maybe you know someone in this room who, man, they've, they've really found victory in an issue where you're really struggling, so you just grab them and say, hey, how, how'd you fight that sin? Through the power of Jesus, or, or you, you really have like a disciplined prayer life. How, how did you do that? Did that happen over time? Did you grow in that? Did you wake up one morning and he anointed you with pixie dust? What, what, what happened there? I mean, how'd you do that, right? Because listen, you're not going to know if you don't start asking questions and leaning into people who are farther down the road than you are. I mean, this is Titus 2. And many other places in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 11. So, so maybe, and this is why it's all tied to Philippians 2, get over your pride. Get over your vainness. You're never going to be perfect, and it's a humble thing to say, I, I need some help. I, I need some guidance. You, you, know, you know that I do that, Right? You do realize that. I mean, some of, I mean, there are men in this room who I sit with them and I leave so edified and pushing harder headlong into Jesus because I was with them. Because I learned ways that God has shaped them and grown them in areas where I'm weak and God's still refining those rough edges and it just blesses me, right? I mean, I'd be a, a lost cause if I never did that. So this is a practice that we got to dive into, okay? So he says, hey, this is part of getting to know Jesus, Opening up your life to other people. Here's why, verse 18. This is a profound text. For many, this is why, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set where? Here. 
Just on the here and now, right, on earthly things. Okay, so he just gave the exact opposite of the guy he just explained and described, right? Okay, first there's the disciplined man or woman who is pushing after Jesus, who you should imitate their walk. They're working out their salvation. They're humbling themselves to look into the humility of Jesus. Okay, you want to you find that type of person and follow their pursuit, model their pursuit, okay, just like they model Jesus. Okay, now here's the opposite. The guy who has no discipline. The guy who, man, his God is his appetite. He just does whatever he wants. So I want this, I'll get it. I want this, I get it. I want to do this. That's what's driving his life is whatever his appetite is, whatever he hungers for. So so you want want women? You'll, You'll get it. You'll find a way to get it. Whether through the most disgusting means possible or through the most twisted, deceitful ways possible. So it's not just outright rape, it's deceit, subtle, meeting for coffee, wooing them to, to you, and then finally finding a way to get intimacy or lustful pleasure from them, right? You really want money? You'll find a way to get it, right? That, that's your appetite. Like, like, your God isn't Jesus Christ, your God is you. So you just fill you with whatever you can get because that's what's driving you. He says, I'm saying this with tears, You know why he's saying this as he's weeping? Because the end is their destruction. Okay, this isn't destruction like some bad things will happen to you on the earth. He's talking about hell. He's talking about eternal separation from the God of the universe. In eternal torment and pain. Because you chose to live your life as your God being your belly and not Jesus Christ. So he goes, man, I'm just, I'm weeping. And, and you walk as an enemy of Jesus Christ. Now, now hear me, this isn't the outright wicked person, okay? Th- these are church people too, right? I mean, we go, well, hold on a second. I mean, they, they prayed, or man, they, they, they come to church every single Sunday, or they, they give in the offering box, or man, they're, they're, they have a Bible they show up with. Or, no, he goes, anyone can talk, okay? Watch their life. Those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. See, see, we can say anything we want. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, yeah, I, I want to follow him. Oh, yeah, I want to be. Okay, well, I'll watch your walk. I'll see if, if it's really real in your heart by your walk, right? He's going, no, don't, don't just watch their mouths. No, these people walk as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the reason they're an enemy is because an enemy of the gospel is says to them, no, I'm not going to deny myself. I'm going to deny God so I can live for myself. Jesus says, deny yourself and live to me. So, so we're, we're, we're just led by our, our belly. And, and listen, um, this idea of God being your appetite, um, th- this, this type of person who I don't believe is at all regenerated, or has the spirit of God in them. Doesn't mean there are, there are ebbs and flows and struggles. This person continually lives a life where he will refuse to choose Jesus and repent of his sin and continually choose the God of his life, the God of his pleasure, the God of his appetite. Listen, you'll even, you'll do whatever it takes to get it, even if it means justifying it biblically. Like, like you'll, you'll even try to find a verse that'll help feed your appetite. Like that's how wicked our hearts are. 
I mean, I mean, you'll go, man, I want to pursue this relationship, and, and, but you know, you haven't really asked God for wisdom in that. You're not actually listening to counsel. You just want to do what you really want. So you might say, oh yeah, I'm seeking the Lord, I'm pursuing it, but your walk shows nothing of that. And really, you're just going to get mad regardless of what someone says. Or man, do I, do, is this, do I really want to give my money into this? Is this, is this purchase real? I mean, you've never laid that before the Lord. I mean, is this really kingdom mind? Is this really something that God wants? Or No, you, you're going to do that regardless of the counsel you get. Because your God is your belly. I mean, this is something, man, Kristen and I, we were, con- I mean, just, just last week, I remember we've been house searching for like a year. New Jersey's awful. I mean, it's just the taxes. Are pagan as they get. I mean, I, I don't... Anyway, so, so we're, we're like, we're looking, and I'm like, I'm praying, and you know what I found? I realized as we're, as we're looking for these things, I'm going, man, hold on a second. I remember I was having a conversation just a few days ago where I'm going, hold on a second, man, what, I mean, what, where does God want us to live? What kind of house does he want us in? You know, it's like we get so used to just, okay, well, I want to do this, I want to live here, and all of a sudden it's like, hold on a second, man, he's driving the ship. He's in charge, I'm owned by him. So we ultimately just submit ourselves to what he wants and Paul is just getting at this, where you deny yourself when you become a Christian. You don't deny God. Your God is no longer your belly. Your God is him. And he feeds you himself, which nourishes worship, which nourishes intimacy, which nourishes growth. And here's just the, the hardest part is those who refuse this, they glory in their shame, he says. Right? Right? They just glory in it. Man, check out all this stuff I have. Look at this, look at this new plastic surgery I got, right? To make me look better. I mean, you just, just look at news the way that it profoundly glories celebrity shame. Right? Just watch TV. Right? You'll see it. I mean, that, that's the stuff that's just broadcasted and glorified, Right? They don't see it as destructive, right? They see it as li- leading to life. I mean, that's why, you know, Matthew says, hey, the road's narrow. Okay, the one who's actually going to find life, that's a narrow road. Few are going to find that road. Okay, why is the road that leads to what? Destruction. Right, many are going to find that one. Either finding an excuse for the sin, a way to justify the way they're living. Right? They'll do anything they can to get on the wide road, not the narrow road. But in the narrow road, oh, there is surprising joy. And surprising riches and surprising grace and surprising mercy for people who realize that I need it. See, this whole idea of, of your God being your belly is, is this common idea that I've mentioned many times where, where God gives us. God's generous. God's not a taker. Like, you just start in Genesis 1, okay? God gives creation, gives food, gives land gives himself, right? You just, this is relationship with God. God is constantly giving. He's a generous giver, okay? And as he's giving all these good gifts and wires them the way we're supposed to live, he's never trying to take from you, right? So, so when we operate in the way that he desired these good gifts to operate, there's life, there's flourishing, there's freedom, there's joy, there's no guilt, there's, there's increase, there's, there's, there's all of these things. So what happens is we take all these gifts that God gives us, right? Good food and good drink and good sex and good family and all these good relationships and we abuse them. 
Right, so, so we don't use the, the God's your belly. So all of a sudden, you're using these gifts that were used to worship him and grow in intimacy with him and push you headlong into him. You're using these gifts to make much of you. So it's your appetite. So I want to take all these gifts and abuse them and hunger for them and use them on me because I'm God and he's not. And here's what happens. You keep hitting the wall because that gift can only get you so far when it's not used right. So until you start using that gift to worship him and press into him, using your relationships, using food, using good drink, using sex, using all those things, go, man, I want to know Christ more. I want to experience more of him. All of a sudden, those gifts become glorious, and your happiness and joy becomes consistent and firm and steady and not shifting. But when your God is your belly, you're constantly taking all the good, generous things God gives and going, okay, I'm going to use them the way that I think they should be used on me. I'm going to hunger for them, abuse them. Yeah, you're the God of the universe, but I don't think you had it quite figured out when it came to sex, when it came to food, when it came to relationship. Think about how crazy that is. And so he's just showing us, man, that, that's just a, a destructive way to live. And here's a key phrase, key phrase. Underline it. Their minds are on earthly things. That is the end of the day. Why? Their mind is on earthly things. Paul says the enemies of the cross of Christ, everything they do is motivated by here and now. Everything, right? What'll give me most pleasure right now, right? It's nearsightedness. First Peter talks about this, how the nearsighted man, that's the reason he sins. Because what are you doing? You're just looking right here. What's going to give me immediate pleasure, immediate satisfaction, right? My mind is set on earthly things, not on heavenly things. We're going to get at in a minute. That's the way that we actually combat and go against this landslide. So I'm just dwelling on the here and now. So what's going to give me immediate pleasure? What's going to give me immediate satisfaction? And you're, you're feeling it, and you're not thinking about down the road. You're not thinking about eternity. You're not thinking about standing before the God of the universe and not giving an account for that. You're not thinking about how what's, this, what's going to happen next week if I make this decision or the pain I'm going to feel a year from now or how my whole family's going to be just reveling or reeling from this. We just want immediate, um, right here. Their mind is just set on earthly things. And so here's what's so beautiful. I love this. He shows us how we guard against that. He shows us how we continue to know him and, and press into him to avoid this and protect our souls from this, verse 20. But our citizenship, okay, the person in Christ, the person who is an adopted son and daughter of God, but our citizenship is where? In heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul goes, okay, well they have their minds set on the here and now, on earthly things, you know the real story. Like you know how this all ends. Like, like, you know that living that type of way leads to destruction. You know that living the way that God designed and wired you intrinsically leads to life. You know that what's really coming, you know that. So, so here it is. This is the second advent. The first advent happened, right? They were waiting. The Christ who came was born of a virgin. Lived, walked, died, rose, ascended. And now we're waiting for the second advent. We're awaiting a Savior who will make all things right who will make all things new. And when he returns, all of our souls will be laid bare. And let me tell you, every bit of narcissism, every bit of self-exaltation, every bit of God being 
our belly. Every, you know what you're going to want on that day? <laughs> you're going to want someone going, I paid for it. Hey, I paid for that idolatry. I paid for that wickedness. I paid for that sin. I paid for that self-absorbed heart. That's what we're going to want. And so Paul says, you take seriously the pursuit because you know there's a day coming. Like, like you press into him and long to know him because your citizenship isn't here, man. You're, you're wired not for here. You're wired for heaven. We're exiles. We're sojourners, Peter says. So, so, so our eyes view life differently. We have this heavenly mindset. We actually see and await a savior. We remember, hold on, hold on, okay, my, my home's not here. That, that changes my decision making. That changes how I spend my time, my talents, and my, my treasure. That, that changes all of these different things. We know that Christ is coming. So we keep our eyes on that day where there will be one headline on the news. God and how he moved. No wars. No, no evil. No betrayal. No abuse. No, no, no struggling and toiling. No awful days at work. Where, where it's all made right. We, we, we long for that. We look to that. Not here. We look to that going, yeah, of course that's what it's like here. And he says we keep our eyes on this where there will no, be no sickness or sin, where we will celebrate and cheer where the heroes on that day will not be those who glory in their shame and have their God as their appetite, but who denied themselves and made much of Jesus. Those are the heroes on that day. That's the true story, right? We know how this thing ends. See, see Paul is trying to drive their hearts into, if you have Christ, then it shapes what you know about Christ and the eternal realm of Christ. And so every decision you make, you're going, well, hold on a second. I mean, is this decision bearing eternal fruit for me? Like, like are the decisions I made, I, just if you ask yourself this week, like the, the decisions I made this past week, were they eternally minded or temporarily worldly minded? The majority of them. I mean, I mean what, what were you, where was your face? Was your face just on the world, on here, this is it, this is all there is, there's no end, there's no savior coming, there's no second advent, there's no glory and cheer, there's no celebrating heroes who deny themselves and love Jesus and pressed into him? Or was your mind there? That's how you know him. That's how you grow in him. See, so many of us are trying to add Jesus to this life. It's not about you adding him to this life. It's about you dying to yourself and him adding you to his. Like, you're trying to fit him in here like, like this world makes sense. No, life makes sense in glory for the Christian because that's where their eyes are. It's you, it's you trading in your life for his. It's not you trying to fit him into your realm and keep your appetites and keep your hungers and I'll keep Jesus here. You know, there's a text that I, that I, that I love because my question was, man, how do, we, how do we keep our eyes on that, right? You thinking that? 2 Corinthians 4, just hold your place. Go flip back. It's not on the screen. You should have brought your Bible, not your fake one. Um, I just spilled my ice. That was God convicting me. Okay, so, um, no, I'm just kidding. 2 Corinthians, if you have a phone, you can look there. 
uh, look on your neighbor if you don't have a Bible. 2 Corinthians, read this for me, because this, this is a common text, and I feel like this is a shadow of Philippians 3.20. I think this, this gives us some practicality as to how we actually look at this, okay? So look at 2 Corinthians 4. And, and Paul's talking about this idea of him, this, this continual, continual theme of him refining you, shaping you, molding you more into the image of his son, okay? And here's what he's, he's going he's gonna to end this part here showing you how this happens, okay? How you know him. Verse 16, very famous verse. So we don't lose heart, at the working of God in us. That's weird. That's what we've been, this, this the kind of weird paradox, right? Like it's, it's our effort, but, but God doing it, right? So we don't lose heart. Though our outer nature's wasting away, our inner nature's being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing. Just circle that word. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we don't look at the things that are seen. We look at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary, but things that are unseen are eternal. Okay, so, so this text is saying, okay, that difficulty, okay, hardship is preparing you for this. Okay, so, so how do we Look to this. Verse, how do we do verse 20? As the believer, in the moments where your day does not go as planned, in, in the moments where you experience sickness, hurt, suffering, okay? in the moment that you experience betrayal, okay? in, in, in the moment that you experience imperfection in, in, in the moment that you experience pain evil sin tiredness wearisomeness in, in, in all of those moments here's, here's what you remember this isn't home and that thing is preparing me for that day that will blow my mind. Like it's actually making you more ready. It's, it's, it's reminding you that, hey, hold on a second. It's preparing you for the day where it will all be made right. So on the day that it's all made right, your joy will be even greater. Your joy will be higher. You're longing for this. Man, it's just preparing you and it's reminding you that this isn't where your home is. I mean, that's what those moments are for. They're not just so that you're tired and weak and upset. It's actually in those moments going, hold on, this is reminding me right now that this isn't it for me. Praise God, this isn't it for me. I mean, those of us who just, just struggle and toil in our job, right? That's because of the fall, because of Genesis 3. Of course you're tired, of course you're weary. But man, in that moment, you remember this isn't forever. Like, I'm awaiting a Savior. My citizenship isn't here. It's in heaven. So, man, there's a day where I will work and never be weary. Like, I will work and toil and have constant joy. I mean, what, what grace. Right, what, what, an, what an amazing 
picture here, man, that, that this is just preparing our minds and hearts. This is why, what does Romans 8 say? You groan for this, right? Romans 8 says you inwardly groan. I mean, in fact, all of creation is groaning to be freed from this broken, fractured world. And, and we know the real story. It's not going to be fractured and broken forever. It's going to be perfectly mended. And you will never have another tired day again. You will never feel oppressed again. You will never be betrayed again. You will never sense or see or know evil or sin. What a glorious thought, right? But how often do our minds go there? If I'm admitting, not often. I'm constantly down here. And he's just raising our eyes to this beautiful, beautiful truth. See, here's, here's reality. Here's what's true. No Christian at the end of their life is going to stand before the God of the universe and say, I wish I had spent less time pursuing you. I, I wish I had spent less money on the kingdom. You know, I wish I had been a little bit more self-centered. I wish, I wish I'd sinned a little more. Like, no one's going to say that. Like, you and I won't say that. Like, like you, you got to see that. Like, at the end of the day, when you see Jesus Christ, I mean, that's reality. That's where we're headed. I mean, our eyes have to be there. So, so listen, this is not a vain pursuit. This is a worthwhile pursuit, pressing into him, knowing him, seeing life the way he wants us to see it. No one is going to stand before him on that day and go, man, I wish I had given less of my life to you. I wish I had fought less in my struggle against sin. No, no, we're all going to realize the utter damning reality of the smallest sin in light of his mind-blowing holiness. And we will see that this was all right. And we've got our champion, who is Jesus, who makes us not just positionally righteous, but inwardly, forever righteous, right? And he shows this in verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body? By what? The power that enables him to subject all things to himself. I don't know about you, but that verse blew my mind this week. Because, <laughs> see, this is what I mean. You've got to think about texts that you read. Like, don't just read a verse, oh, cool, man, my lowly body is going to be actually transformed into his glorious body by his power. You go to the next slide for me. Verse 21, right? I mean, we, we read that text and we're like, okay, cool. What else? Right? No, no. Did you hear what he just said? I read this verse this week. And, and Paul continuing this, this theme of molding, shaping, refining you. I said, hold on. He is taking sinful, wicked, idolatrous, whining, impatient Mike Reed. And he is and will fully transform my lowly, impatient, idolatrous, wicked, self-serving, conceited, prideful body into the perfect, glorious body that is the God of the universe. 
What? I mean, are you with me still? I mean, did you, I mean this is, I'm, I'm reading this text going, okay, hold on a second. It just continues this theme. The prize is not just that you get him. The prize is that you become just like him. Like, just linger there. You, if you're in Christ, I'm not talking about the person who's just checking out Christianity or unsure about, okay, if you have trusted, repented, you love him, you pursue him, you follow him, if you've been found in Christ, this is what's true of you. He is changing you into him. Like you will literally look just like him. No imperfection. What? Let's close. I mean, I, I don't know how you move on from that. I mean, I'm, I'm reading that just, and I sat there, and then how does this happen? How does it happen? Power. You want to know what kind of power? Not your electrical socket, okay? Not your little, you know, you got a little, you know, generator at your house, okay? Not the biggest power plant in the world. He, he says the same power that holds every molecule every atom, every non-living and living thing in full subjection to his full sovereign authority. That power is the same power that is transforming you and me, sinful, imperfect you and me, into his likeness. I mean, that's, this is, it's amazing to, I don't even know, I don't even know what to say. I, I, I've got like, I'm not making sense in my notes right now. I don't, they're not lining up. Probably because I had a seizure when I read this. Um, <laughs> probably, I guess. I, I don't, I honestly, listen, this is, this is all I know. This is all I know. The sinful space is in your heart. The sinful space is in your heart. He is, he is making the imperfect to the perfect. He's making the sinful want to a holy want. I mean, what if each morning you woke up, what if you thought this morning, right now, the God of the universe that holds every DNA strand of my body together, every molecule and atom in the universe floating, every non-living and living thing, life and breath and structure, he holds every one of those things together by every millisecond. That same power right now is actually transforming your lowly body more to the image of his. Mind blown, right? Every day. Hold on, hold on. This deep ache and terrible day at work I had, what's it doing? Preparing you, changing you, molding you, shaping you for that ultimate day where Philippians 1.6 is realized and completed, where all will be totally made new and perfect. An amazing thought. You know, there's some irony in the statement because, coming from Paul, because he's basically mocking a claim of Caesar because Caesars at that time claimed to have total subjection over all their people. And Paul's sitting in chains under his decree. You know what he's saying? No, I know the true story. You know who actually has full subjection of all things under his feet? Christ. So yeah, I'm in chains. Yeah, I'm under Caesar's decree, but I'm not really subject to him, I'm subject to Christ. It's just, it's just just amazing, amazing, profound reality. And, and here's what's awesome. I think there's a, an amazing connection here. He connects the cosmic transformation 
with personal transformation. Here's here's what I mean. If Christ has, which he does, the power to bring the entire universe under his control, that's the type of power he has, then does he not have the same power and is he not more than fully capable of transforming the imperfect spaces in your life? More into his image? Is he not capable of forgiving that sin and destroying it and canceling it? Like, like, is your view of God really the God of the Bible or a weak God? He can't really forgive what I've done. Mm, he doesn't really put that away. Well, hold on a second. This text will call you a liar again. The same God, the same power that he subjects all things to himself is the same power that he says, do you think I'm not capable of, of shaping you and growing you in your sanctification? Like, do you think that I somehow, like, am too weak for you? That you've got this special hidden sin? Or, man, you're wired differently, so God, I don't know if you can really change me. I don't know if you can really give me victory over this sin, because, man, this sin is different than everyone else's. This is profound. He's linking these two things and showing you and reminding you of verse 13, right? For God does it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work to his good pleasure. Like it's God doing it. It's his power in you. So of course it's going to happen. And he just, it's just this amazing connection where his power is working to transform our lowly bodies to be like his. You know, I love his ending here because it's really pastoral and it's, it's just a good warning and encouragement. Look at verse, chapter four, verse one. That's how he ends this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul's just laying before us a pastoral plea. He's saying, man, I love you. I love you. Man, you're my crown. You're my crowning achievement, spiritually speaking, to some degree. Like when I stand before the Lord, I'm going I'm to see this church. I'm going to be so thrilled and so encouraged by you. You're my joy. It gives me such joy to see you growing and walking in the likeness of Jesus and doing these things. He goes, okay, therefore, because of everything I've said, because of what I've warned you about pride, because of the ways I've continually encouraged you and repeatedly said, he keeps the work going, he keeps refining you, he keeps sanctifying you. His power is great. It's not about your power, it's about his. Work out that salvation with fear and trembling. Strive for what's ahead. Forget what's behind that hinders your pursuit of today. Okay, because of that, stand firm. Like, 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 stand firm in what I've told you, what you already know. Just keep doing what you know. Press into him. Stand firm in the Lord. Keep looking for godly men and godly women who you can imitate and model and get under and sit around and follow. I mean, remember, the destruction of those whose God is their belly is eternal separation. Don't, don't buy that lie. Don't think that that's really the way to life or that's the way to freedom or that's the way to true joy. Don't, don't buy that. Oh, and remember, keep your eyes on heaven. Remember where your home is. Remember you're a citizen, not of here. You're a citizen of heaven. Man, remember, he's coming back. Second advent hadn't happened yet, and that's going to be a crazy awesome day with fireworks that will blow your mind, right? I mean, just, just, just keep, keep what now, now just stand firm. Keep doing what I've told you. Here's why I think he says this. And here's why it's so pastoral. Many of us, you know, what, you know what you really want? You just want something new. You don't want to do what you've been told already, over and over and over. You want some new revelation. You want some new concept. You want some new idea. No, no, come on, Mike, just, just keep teaching me. Some. 
Here's what you don't want. You don't want to actively walk in and practice what you already know and what you have been told over and over and over and over again. You just want something new. That just creates intellectual zombies. And so you find yourself in the same boat Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Because you don't do anything with what you hear and the truth that's been laid before you. You don't act obedient to it. You just go, okay, I want to come back to Sunday to hear something new. Some new revelation. Come on, Mike. No, no, I'm saying walk in what you already know. Be obedient. Here's the truth. You're becoming more like Jesus. You pressing into Jesus is inseparably linked to you practicing and walking in the truth you already know. I cannot say that enough times. You will not magically mature, grow in Christ, if you do not decide to actively walk and practice what you already know. Like, listen, I mean, because otherwise, this is what happens. We just play church. Listen, church is the lamest hobby. Like, seriously, if you're not here because you want to grow in Christ and pursue him and press in him, okay, look, maybe you're here because I'm not, I'm not talking to the non-Christian. I'm talking to the Christian, okay? So if you're non-Christian, praise God you're here. We want you to hear about this. You want you to learn about this. We want you to seek this out and consider the things of Christ. But if you're here and you claim to be a Christian, I mean, what are you doing? I mean, honestly, you get up early, you sing some songs, listen to some guy talk for a while and go home and then do it again? Like, like, like why are you here? Like, like go, go ski, on a Sunday, I mean, I mean, go, I don't know, go shooting, go fishing, like go, go do something else, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, really think about this. I mean, I mean, we got to, listen, we've got to actively consider, I mean, am I just coming and just filling my head with, you know, yeah, cool, man, another new thought, another, or are you going, okay, how, how am I going to actively walk in the truth I've heard? How am I going to be obedient to what I've already heard? Now, some of you are going to leave, and it won't matter. Like I said last week, all I can do is lay it before you. I can't make you do anything. Some of you are living in sin. It's destroying your life. You don't care. Okay. Right? Some of you, some of you are going to, hold on a second, hold on a second. I've been playing a silly game for most of my life. And and I'm actually going to consider, maybe for the first time, wow, what a thought actually doing and applying and walking in the truth that's been laid before you. And all of a sudden, you're going to start seeing shades of change and growth and maturity. So Paul is sitting here saying, stand firm. That's not a passive act, that's active. He's saying, stand firm in this, everything I've just said. Do it. Work out your salvation. Strive for what's ahead. Forget what's ahead. Apply the gospel. Get around people that you can imitate and grow and mature with. Fix your eyes on heaven, not just on earthly things. Like these aren't just, just cool, clever thoughts he wants us to hear and then leave and remain unchanged. Because that, that's why I love that he says, look at those who walk. See, a lot of you guys, you can say a lot. 
I meet with some of you. I know you can, you talk all day. I love it. And then I see your walk. And I'm like, guys, what are you doing? Looks nothing like what you talked about. So look, we've all been lied to, right? I'm lied to all the time, right? Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, no. We walk as enemies or as lovers of Jesus. And in the moments you stumble and fall and fall short, his grace is there and available and powerful and enabling. And it's not a perfect life, just a trajectory or pursuit of being repentant and loving Jesus and wanting to kill your sin because you are grieved by it because that's the new nature in you. You don't have to fabricate it or force it. So, so here's my question. How are you going to do this? What's your plan? What's your grace-filled plan? Maybe for some of us this morning, just some simple repentance, right? God, forgive me. Man, I just, you know what? I've just been trying to live this privatized life, and it's really just pride in me, and forgive me for that. Man, you know what? I, yeah, I, I don't ever think about the things of heaven. I'm constantly here. You know what? Yeah, I look back at my life, man. All my decisions are based solely upon just eternity, you know, worldly things, not eternity. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't know. I don't, I've never gotten with someone and, and tried to learn how they've grown in Christ. I've never done that. Okay? That's a great place to start. Just some honest reflection. Just some honesty before God. Maybe, maybe some of you guys are saying, you know what? Give me the courage to get out of this and actually walk in it. Give me the courage to actually be obedient. Maybe for the first time in your life. Maybe for the first time in your life. After years and years and years of hearing sermons, you might actually decide to be a James one, not just hearer, but doer. Let's just ask him to help us. God, you're a... Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm in this. God, I constantly feel the push and pull of just doing things, especially in ministry. God, I know you want more for us. I know there's more of Christ to be had. God, I know these are things that we know intellectually. God, forgive us from believing in a, in a Christianity or a gospel or a way of life that, that's nowhere in the Scripture. God helps to see that, that obedience and walking and listening and responding is actually for our joy and our good and, and your blessing. Let's not be afraid of your gentle correction. God, I pray you would give us courage, that you give us discipline. God, we're all going to leave these doors today and walk out into a world where God is the appetite, where all we can visibly see is earthly things. God, help us in those moments to see the upward call of Christ, to see our citizenship in heaven, to await our Savior practically, to remember in moments of suffering and pain and evil and sickness and betrayal and abuse and sin and discouragement that that's preparing for us and reminding us of our home, that we're not home yet. God, help some of us in this room to maybe for the first time in their life repent of their sin and turn to Christ and trust Him as Savior. God, would you adopt them this morning?
Would you rescue them this morning through your shed blood and your death on that cross alone? God, thank you that you are at work here. Thank you that we can have confidence not in us becoming better people or us doing a better job, but the power, your sovereign power that's at work within us, enabling us to do this. That this pursuit is not in vain, it's not unattainable. It is fully ours because Christ is ours. And as we observe the Lord's Supper, I pray that we would respond in worship, that we'd take time to consider these things and love you and pursue you and run to you in Jesus' name, amen.